0: Welcome to Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we will talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Garth Sharif, a small business owner and financial literacy volunteer for the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. CPA Canada provides no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This episode is part of our podcast focusing on helping Ontario small businesses get through the pandemic. Our guests will help us navigate through this new world as well as provide insight on what the future may look like, including support and resources for small business owners. CPA Canada sponsor, for this Ontario Small Business Series is the Government of Ontario. Their support helps make this event possible. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at literacy at cpacanada.ca. Today, we are excited to be joined by Etan Dettiar, CPA, CMA. He has spent his career operating in locations as diverse as the Canadian Arctic, Afghanistan, and Mongolia, guiding organizations through periods of significant change. Eton is here today to talk about something that many small businesses have had to face, especially since the beginning of the, this year, restructuring. Although a tough call to make, Aton will walk us through some of the considerations, processes, and steps to consider when making this decision for your business. Aton, thanks for speaking with me today on an important topic for small business owners, especially given these Unpredictable times. Thanks, Garth. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat today. Aton, as I read your biography, I was fascinated by all of your travels, in particular to the Canadian Arctic. Just curious, what brought you to that location?
1: It's, uh, I guess, a bit in the family. In uh, in the '60s, my father worked in the Russian Arctic, and. Uh, uh, spent a fair bit of time there, and personally, I think growing up, I probably spent way too much time watching Northern Exposure as well. So, uh, at some point, I applied for a CFO role at a small Northern logistics company based in Yellowknife, and uh, the next thing I knew, I was you know sort of sitting on a plane, flying to Yellowknife, thinking to myself, I was kind of kidding about this whole thing. Moved from Bay Street to Yellowknife uh, in January for about seven weeks and minus minus forty, and. Uh, I still do a lot of work up there. You know, it's it's a very unforgiving environment, which gives you a very different perspective. And you know, between Arctic storms and Afghanistan, I've sort of taken the philosophy that you know the world's only going to end once, and as long as you're not freezing to death or getting shot at, things probably can't be that bad.
0: Very unique perspective, and I love the Northern Exposure reference. One of my favorite shows uh, when I was younger watching. So that's fascinating, and I think that's going to be part of this resiliency the experiences that you've had and that others have had to maybe overcome some of the challenges that we're now facing. So one of the first questions I'd like to ask you Eitan, how did you become an expert in your field of restructuring?
1: Pretty early in my career I worked for a bank uh, within the branch network and somehow I ended up uh, in a role going from branch to branch dealing with a range of cleanup projects, uh, branch closures, mergers and those kinds of things. So it really prepared me for uncertainty. I think I was at 20 branches over a two year period. And I very clearly recall one day driving to the wrong branch because I was going to so many different branches. So uh, when I moved to Yellowknife, you know, the company was in a constant restructuring uh, phase really because we were growing so rapidly. So this is, uh, you'd look at it as the positive side of restructuring. We started out as a private company, we privatized, we almost went public again to buy a railway. And over that time, expanded our operations from two bases to eight bases across Canada and eventually sold the business. And this all happened in a five year period where we went from three to 30 million. So change was constant. And, uh, you know, and then the 2008 financial crisis came and we really had to revisit all the assumptions that brought us to where we were and to take a hard look at uh, what we wanted our business to look like in the future. So, you know, the crisis also gave me a chance to really look at how different companies in the market were operating and how they were impacted by the slowdown. And it was really interesting to see that there was a bunch of companies that gained market share and really improved their positioning and their services. But then there were others who stood back, really thinking that there wasn't a whole lot they can do and just waiting for the economy to recover. And, you know, those companies just weren't nimble enough to respond. They hadn't thought about the different iterations of their businesses. And and in many cases... They had overextended themselves, preparing for in infrastructure projects. So, you know, it was an interesting experience and I've really been focused on understanding how you know different effective ways of scaling up and scaling down since. And, uh, you know, as I said, we enjoyed significant growth, but when the 2008 crisis hit and the resource market essentially collapsed, uh, we all had to really quickly recalibrate our plans, reprioritize our investments uh, and look at how we were doing business and protect what we could.
0: It's really interesting, Tom, because you're bringing up the financial crisis in 2008 and the ability to – you said the word nimble, and that's, that's an interesting word to use. So how would you compare what you went through with, with that company going through the financial crisis to the current state of the economy now, and specifically thinking about small businesses uh, and their workers?
1: Well, I think what's happened now has been, uh, you know, a lot more sudden. So, you know, between January and late March, uh, you know, I was in various uh, board meetings and strategic planning discussions and, you know, listening to companies talk about the usual range of issues and really thinking to myself that it felt like the house was on fire and most people seemed to be chatting about what they wanted for lunch. So, You know, I think the financial crisis had maybe a bit more certainty around uh, what was happening lots of ambiguity, but people knew what was happening, whereas here, I think nobody really knew what was happening. People knew something was happening, but they didn't know what to do about it or what a monumental life changing impact it would have. So, you know, in the face of all this ambiguity this time around, people really hunkered down, focused on protecting themselves, their families, their businesses, their communities. But uh, since then, I think most of us is, have accepted uh, that for the foreseeable future, we're going to have uh, a lot more unknowns than knowns, and we'll be living with a lot of uncertainty. And we're going to be dealing with far more urgent, complex, and nuanced issues than we've ever had to deal with. And you know, it's almost like uh, you know the five stages of grief. Uh, the response started with panic, then there was a bit of a situational assessment, and eventually accepting the situation with clarity and focus on continuity and that naturally included cash conservation and liquidity. It also really involved a lot of planning and strategy recalibration, and in particular, uh, revisiting and reprioritizing investment plans. Everything became a lot more challenging, uh, responding to questions facing businesses involved weighing and integrating way more factors than many of us previously considered and uh, you know what this meant for a lot of companies is that their strategy became a lot more narrow a lot more narrowly focused because they were no longer in position to do all the different things that uh, they previously wanted to do there's the uh, letter from brian chesky the airbnb ceo i think it was uh is online and it was a great letter that really he issued to employees at the start of the pandemic and it hit the nail on the head uh, and he took great care to explain that airbnb was really not in a position to do all the things it used to do and that they had to redesign the organization into a more narrowly focused business uh, with a sustainable cost model and that they had to recalibrate accordingly. And this really included an honest assessment of how each of their teams mapped onto the new strategy and and unfortunately what reductions would have to be made and the strategic implications of those reductions. So Airbnb was guided by a clear set of principles and core values for how to approach the reductions in the workforce and they were focused on ensuring that they also had the capabilities uh, they needed, not only to make it through the pandemic, but also to f- position themselves to thrive on the other side. Now, you know, there's a lot of folks that are going through the crisis for the first time here, so there's lots of lessons to learn from the past. I think in the 2008 financial crisis, one of the similarities was that many companies continued to absorb higher costs to keep up with growth. And and then when the financial crisis struck and volumes plummeted, these companies were really overextended and had to aggressively reduce their costs. And as companies grow, obviously, the low-hanging fruit are gone. Their cost of operating, in many cases, increase as they're going after incremental business. So most were caught off guard, and you know, although in 2008 many saw the signs of a slowdown, they really underestimated how bad things could get. But probably more importantly, and this is similar to what happened here, how fast it could all happen and how fast it could unravel. And it was really a lot, very interesting to see uh, how a six-week cash crunch impacted companies, how dramatically it did. Uh, you know, a decade after the 2008 crisis, COVID really is a really good analogy for the challenge businesses are facing in the sense that those with underlying health issues are at significantly higher risk so the companies that may have had issues that were uh, covered off by a healthy economy are now those those issues are coming to light so You know, from my own experience, thinking about northern Canada in the early 2000s mining boom, success was easy to most companies. And, you know, you really didn't need to be a superstar to look like one at the time. And when the 2008 crash came, it quickly became evident uh, which companies were overextended and which had underlying issues. So I think that's come out a lot this time as well so as part of the process it's really important to ask yourself whether your company did have any underlying issues that you may have addressed in advance of the pandemic and that may have gone unnoticed so all of this to say is current situation is certainly not easy but it is an opportunity for businesses to reinvent themselves and we've seen a lot of that as they're moving to hybrid workforces uh, both in the office and out and uh, a range of things but ultimately, it's important to understand what the goal of a restructuring initiative should be. And, and the goal shouldn't be cost reduction, at least strictly cost reduction. And certainly any any of the studies out there have shown that the organizations that strengthen themselves and build new capabilities position themselves much better for success in the future. Some of this is really asking about is this the right decision for the future of the company and the companies that are able to ask that and think through that. Uh, are more likely to succeed. And not only from a short-term perspective, uh, but also from a long-term perspective. And just as a final thought on this, uh, I'd just like to add that during these times of really supercharged change, agility and rapid response is really critical and inaction comes at a very high cost. So your goal can't be perfection, but rather continued progress along with stakeholder alignment. Uh, The World Health Organization director, Michael Ryan, during the Ebola crisis uh, said that perfection is the enemy of the good when it comes to emergency management. And in in this case, you really have to move before you're certain you're right. And along with that, you do want to avoid death by a thousand cuts. You want to make tough choices. You want to pick a path, demonstrate a commitment to that path. And remember that things are, I was saying changing daily, but it looks like changing by the hour. So you need to maintain maximum flexibility. And really, that's the key thing that there have been lots of studies that have shown that uh, the quality of decisions is less important than the speed with which you make them. You need to be able to react in these situations. If a good decision is made too late, it's still a bad decision. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Yogi Berra, which is, when you see a fork in the
0: road, take it. Don't stand around thinking about it too, too long. That gets us into the next question. When we think about small business owners, myself included, and we're very emotionally attached to our business. Uh, the, the small nature of it might mean that the product or service is near and dear to our hearts and also the employees and stakeholders around us. And that sometimes makes small business owners prone to emotional decisions versus analytical decisions. So what advice would you give to small business owners small, medium business owners to help them make these challenging decisions during this time based on the analysis and numbers instead of maybe their feelings and emotions that might be tied into their business?
1: That's a great question and and in many ways a tough one to answer because uh, as you said, business owners are naturally so emotionally invested in their businesses uh, that it's hard to step back and make uh, these decisions, particularly with underperforming business lines, some of which may have been part of the company for, for a long period of time. So it's really critical to understand your numbers so that you can make a dispassionate uh, business decision and really understand the trade-offs that you're going to have to make, because that's one of the key points. You're really thinking about the trade-offs that you're going to have to make. So, so this means that you have to have a good grasp, not only of what's happened financially and where you stand today, but also of the range of possible futures. So it's important to focus on understanding the root causes and underlying issues. Because once you do, you can then use a rigorous process to think about which underperforming initiatives you may want to defund, which business lines or capital projects maybe should be delayed. So, too often, I think business leaders really focus on the symptoms instead, so they never actually get a handle on the underlying cause, and uh, those issues often don't get fixed. So, you know, in my experience, I've worked with many small business owners and they've really had a great gut feel for their business. They intuitively knew what was going to happen uh, and really understood the market. But this time, things really are different. Uh, none of us have been through a pandemic like this before. So relying on past experience really is not an, an overly meaningful frame of reference. Uh, Howard Marks, who is the co-founder of Oak Tree Capital, a company that deals with distressed capital uh a lot and one of the top investors around, who's got just fantastic uh, newsletters that he issues, I think quarterly, which are almost mandatory reading. He, he said, uh, Wh- whatever we think we know, we don't and whoever thinks they know doesn't. So uh, I think that really sums up where we are today. I think you want to get as much information as you can because uh, your gut feel uh, probably relates to a world that isn't here anymore. But it also means that you need to take a much more flexible view of the future. And one effective approach to do this is to go through scenario planning. And part of that, what you you wanna do there is really develop a three-year view and expect a really rough two years. And if you develop scenarios based on the expected pandemic and economic recovery paths, say two or three different scenarios encompassing multiple eventualities, Uh, you should definitely have a scenario that assumes that the bottom won't come back up for a while so that you can think through all the different issues that you'll have to deal with and uh, you want to think about the thresholds the trigger points and really prepare yourself so that you know what financial actions you'll have to take and when so that you're prepared to take those actions rather than being in a position where you have to uh, develop plans on the fly at the same time, uh, if you really want to understand and rely less on gut feel, you really want to accelerate your budgeting and forecasting and continually updating them. And what I find helpful is using a rolling 12-month forecast, uh, using the opportunity to look ahead 12 months. A lot of businesses have an annual budgeting process, but you know if your year end is December, come November, you haven't really looked necessarily out 12 months, so you want to do that. And then also using 13 week cash flow forecasts. And and these tools will both help give you early warning signals so that you're better prepared and able to anticipate uh, what's going to happen. And and one final thought on this, and and I think this is really helpful in almost all aspects of life, but to really ask yourself, let's say 18 months have passed and we didn't achieve what we set out to do. Why, what happened, what went wrong? So to really put yourself in the position of having failed and understand why you failed. So this kind of thought experiment really helps you better think through your plan and anticipate the pitfalls and the risks. And it's especially helpful if you're an eternal optimist uh, entrepreneur type.
0: These are great tips for small business owners because you've experienced different size organizations, so large organizations, small business owners. And when it comes to looking to the future, that's I was curious to ask your experience. What is the the mindset that you feel most small to medium business owners have when it looks when they look out twelve months? Do they have a resistance to looking at it? Do they look at it too optimistically? And where should it be currently when they look out into the future? Well, I
1: think more often than not uh, they do look at it very optimistically, which is uh, at least in, in my experience and that's why i think it's important to develop multiple scenarios because if you do that you can develop a scenario that's optimistic but then you really challenge those assumptions by saying you know what are the things that can go wrong and i think if you look at your uh, your 12 months uh, your 12 month budget and you ask yourself what are the things that could happen that will stop us from achieving that budget you know, I think uh, I think that's a very helpful process in really challenging your assumptions. Again, you know, entrepreneurs are passionate people and optimistic people. And uh, one of the challenges is that they sometimes do have overly aggressive budgets or forecasts. So, so it's important to set the targets high for sure, but also to challenge them so that you're prepared for the other side. That's great advice, Etan.
0: So once a business has gone through and and started to look at their core business and and considering a bunch of factors, especially right now, the things that we're going through, once a business has done that and maybe makes the decision to restructure, what should they do next? A few thoughts here. Uh, The focus on
1: bolstering short-term liquidity and managing cash and uh, credit is critical when survival is at stake. So companies really have to manage their discretionary spend aggressively manage collections and focus on shortening cash conversion cycles and that means also assessing whether it makes sense to monetize certain assets you're really focused on immediate safety and survival and optimizing cash reserves uh, becomes a priority so uh, decisive actions to reduce operating costs things like implementing zero-based budgeting approach is also helpful and it's a real shift Uh, you go from driving earnings to driving cash so uh, whereas your business may have been top line focused before you're really focused on how do you generate cash Uh, this might mean moving slow moving inventory at a discount offering early payment discounts to customers and foregoing discounts uh, with suppliers And, and as part of that is it's really important to understand who your strategic vendors and key customers are And you want to try to keep them happy and where needed. Have difficult discussions if you have to, because it's certainly a tough time now, but hopefully you'll survive and you'll need them on the other side and you don't want to jeopardize those relationships. You know, as liquidity issues arise, you want to be intimately familiar with your burn rates and how much runway you have. And uh, also look at aggressively driving down your fixed cost to buy yourself as much breathing room and flexibility as possible. So this will help give you a clear-eyed view of your situation. Uh, I'm on the board of a few not-for-profit organizations and we all carefully track our reserves. And we know at any given time, how many months of operating costs we have on hand and for-profit businesses really need to take a similar approach. Uh, You know, a few years back, uh, I was brought in as interim CFO to restructure a Canadian Aerospace and Defense contractor that had gone through a series of recapitalizations. And these recapitalizations substantially changed its business models. So the company operated in Afghanistan, Iraq and other high risk environments. And really the key to its growth was that it had an asset light model. It chartered all of its equipment Uh, at the peak. I think we had over 45 helicopters flying in Afghanistan and uh, we had a multinational contractor workforce. So what this meant was that it could increase and decrease assets uh, and contractors as needed. So when the company was sold, a significant amount of debt was layered onto the balance sheet, and suddenly it was burdened with massive regular interest payments. So the buyer's basic misunderstanding of the business model drove a need to restructure the company because the asset model was compromised. So if you think about your approach almost in reverse of this, the more fixed expenses you can convert to variable, the more room you give yourself. And the more breathing room you have and and the more runway you have. So strategies to do this include shifting employees to contractors, leasing back owned assets and transitioning to asset light models.
0: Once a business makes the decision to restructure, what should they do next? I think the first thing is
1: to be really clear about uh, the goals of the restructuring process and be able to clearly and transparently articulate uh, those goals to stakeholders. You wanna control the narrative as much as you can, and you also wanna build in as much flexibility as you can because you're likely to need it. At the same time, uh, you wanna remember that this is not a time for incrementalism, and we just touched on zero-based budgeting, but that's why that approach is helpful. It really makes you think through uh, what you're doing and why and will help you ensure that you not only focus on cost reduction strategies, but really on organizational and process alignment. It also means asking some pretty basic questions and trying to get to root causes. You'll wanna know what's going on and why so that you're really clear on what you're trying to achieve. And in the current environment, uh, you wanna think through post-crisis implications as well and be clear on the resources that you're gonna need to capitalize on the opportunity that are gonna arrive. Uh, You'll need to really think about staffing reductions uh, and resource reductions and you really want an honest assessment of whether the leadership team you have in place has the right expertise to guide you through the process from there you want to focus on crisis stabilization and this means a laser focus on cash and working on capital management and reassessing and reprioritizing uh, the, your projects and business lines and, All of this serves to bolster liquidity and strengthen your balance sheet. And uh, Michael Dell's analogy is a good one. You don't want to just be driving, watching only the speedometer, only to realize that all of a sudden you've run out of gas. So it's uh, important uh, to watch both. Now, likewise, Charlie Munger, the vice uh, chair of Berkshire Hathaway, talks a lot about figuring out what does the most damage in figuring out how to avoid it? Right? So this is really what you're trying to do here, identify not only the things that you could do, but what are the things that you should stop doing and how do you shift your focus? To do this, it's really helpful if you have a framework uh, that you've thought about in advance. And uh, Jeff Bezos, to help him think about risk, has categorized decisions into type one and type two. So type one decisions are decisions that are not reversible. So Uh, You have to be really careful when making those decisions. And type two decisions are sort of like walking through a door. If you don't like the decision, you turn back and walk back in. So when you make long-term strategic decisions and you roll these into your forecast, you really want to understand the trade-offs and implications. And you want to be really more thoughtful about type one decisions and uh, think about things like uh, the long-term implications of cutting R&D budgets and cutting development budgets and the things that are positioning your business for the long term. And you wanna consider the cost of re-entering uh, the business that you might be exiting as well. And think about the growth areas that require future investment. And again, zero-based budgeting will force you to do all those things through the process itself. And also think through what are the projects that are gonna be most difficult uh, to restart. So uh, dynamic resource allocation really needs to focus on first, uh, our near, near-term stabilization Uh, You wanna bolster productivity, but then also reevaluating projects. And again, how do you optimize R&D, IT, capital allocations to prepare the organization uh, for success post-COVID and uh, look at how to strategically position and utilize assets. Likely, you're also going to need to uh, explore new financing sources and government programs. And I'd suggest staying on top of those because they are rapidly changing. And then also to meet with lenders to arrange short term agreement and support as well as to discuss uh, relief terms as necessary. And when you have to make difficult decisions, you really want to be thoughtful about uh, where they have to be made first, how you're going to make them and what obligations you may have towards your employees, your suppliers and, and your customers. Juan Enriquez uh, highlighted this point well, he, he likened it to how a surgeon approaches surgery and it's really with a vision of making a patient better off rather than focusing of the pain, on the pain of the surgery itself. And this is how leaders have to approach uh, shepherding their organization uh, through crises. Having said that under the current environment, certainly the focusing on cash liquidity is critical. So again, getting back to that 13 week cash flow and then starting to have those discussions with uh, critical stakeholders like employees, lenders, suppliers, and customers.
0: That's great, Aiton. And you mentioned these difficult conversations. As you're going through a a lot of analysis, there is a lot of work to be done, a lot of planning, and you've given a lot of great tools that we'll we'll go through some of them at the end just to summarize. This might result in difficult conversations, conversations with employees that you've been with for, for a number of years or suppliers, other individuals or organizations that operate within your business. And you probably have seen quite a bit of these conversations. How would you prepare a small business, a small, medium business owner for these conversations that might be really difficult to have uh, with employees or other stakeholders?
1: Maintaining morale and keeping staff engaged, empowered, motivated, and really connected in the face of this kind of ambiguity is always a challenge. And people might understand the need for transformation, but they're rightly concerned about what the impact is to them. I think at at the end of the day, most people uh, fundamentally need to understand what the impact will be to them for uh, any activity. So it's even more tough, I think, under the current environment. It's even tougher in the current environment where teams are suddenly remote and opportunities for in-person interaction are really limited. So it makes it much tougher to evaluate who's engaged and who's stepping up and and in what ways. With these kind of tough decisions, I think leaders need to demonstrate visible commitment to their stated goals, and those goals should be consistently, clearly, and transparently and authentically communicated. If you think you're gonna need relief from bank covenants, I'd suggest starting those conversations as early as possible, and in general, Uh, You should have regular conversations with your bankers to give them comfort around your plans and how your business is weathering the pandemic. Uh, Lenders don't like surprises, but can be exceptionally supportive if you engage them early and transparently and give them a level of comfort that uh, you're on top of things. So constant and clear communication with all stakeholders is critical during the time of change. Be transparent where you can and honest about what you can do, and importantly about what you can't and what you know and what you don't know, and acknowledging that in these times, uh, none of us really have all the answers. You also want to set a schedule for regular updates and to explain to uh, clients how you're going to continue to service them and uh, you want to clearly articulate your company's objectives as well as progress made towards those objectives and you can do that through the regularly scheduled updates Uh, i think it's important for people to to keep reaching out to people so they know you're still there because if you don't uh, and if employees lenders customers suppliers uh aren't communicated with uh, they typically don't think things are going well
0: That's great insight over communicate especially in this time and i think you mentioned this part right we're not in person, we're not with our stakeholders, we can't necessarily go to the bank, see our employees, and so that might actually feel like we don't need to speak with them because it's virtual and maybe we don't need to check in regularly, Um, but that's really important. We're gonna come to the, the last question that we're gonna ask all our interviewees, and this is one thing you would tell small, medium business owners to help them stay positive during this challenging time. It's it's a difficult time for a lot of small medium businesses in terms of the number of things that we've talked about cash flow, their business models, just a bunch of decisions that are they're coming their way and all the unexpected events as you mentioned that seem to be happening on the hour. And just to Keep a positive note as much as we can. What would be something you would you would give to as a, an advice or something you could tell small, medium business owners, just to to help them stay positive during this challenging time?
1: Certainly, challenging times for sure, and uh, and there's lots to think about. And I think one thing that always I come back to is uh, Dwight Eisenhower said that uh, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable this is especially true now given the speed of change so it's really the planning process that's going to give business owners the tools to understand their environment and the possibilities in front of them but the plan can't be static and it can't be a static document during these turbulent times things are changing quickly and uh, they need to be prepared to adjust but I, i think there's a real opportunity on the other end here you know it's really critical to maintain flexibility and balance reductions against the eventual need to scale back Uh, during the recovery, but it's also important not to revert back to a 2019 mindset that once things start improving. That world is largely gone and decisions need to be focused on a new reality. Uh, Again, going back to Yogi Berra, he uh, very wisely said the future ain't what it used to be. And uh, I think that really holds true today. So you want to try to leverage the agility gained through this experience and try to build resilience into your organization. You know, I've, I've been advising a small business in Nunavut uh, for many years now, and uh, the company is a supplier to a large mine in the territory and employs a significant local workforce and also flies crews from southern Canada. And about 18 months ago, we started plans to build a very large shop in town to overhaul those massive mining trucks with uh, the 10-foot tires. Uh, and... Uh, the idea was that the shop would be constructed in town and would create local training opportunities. But uh, but then the pandemic hit and what happened was that all communities across Nunavut essentially decided that there was going to be no interaction with southern workforces to ensure the pandemic was kept out of the communities. And this really meant two things, that we couldn't fly crews in to construct the shop and that we would be unable to bring crews from the south to work in the shop once it was operational and uh, to help train local Inuit. So we sat down, we mapped out all the risks and not only to the company, but also to the client, the mine and, and really redesigned the whole project while still keeping our overall goal in mind. And the decision was made to relocate uh, the, uh, the shop to the mine site because uh, we assess that doing that would allow the shop to be utilized continually it de risked the project for us as well as the mine and it was really the result of uh, flexibility, reimagination, regular communication with customers, suppliers, partners, lenders, everybody that was involved. Uh, and this is really what restructuring is about. How do you reimagine your future to match the current reality and maximize your chances of success?
0: That's a great story, Eitan, and uh, coming back to reimagining and really understanding and planning, and you brought in a a lot of good words and and positivity because there can be opportunities, as you mentioned, that come out on the other side of this. Things might not go back to the way it was, but are there opportunities if you take some of the really key tips that you provided uh, during this time uh, that we've been speaking and apply them? So this has been great. I just want to go over some. There's been many fantastic uh, insights and and tips that uh, Eitan has provided for small medium business owners to consider some of the notes that i took down and there were many uh, great information scenario planning uh, just understanding what scenarios you could face to build resiliency to think about all the, the situations you might face and and to start planning ahead the need for budgeting and and preparing a 12 month budget and you also talked a lot about cash and forecasting a 13-month uh, cash flow and to think about burn rates but also just how you're managing your cash. But there's a lot of other fantastic information. Those are some of the ones that I wrote down. Aiden, any any last thoughts or words you'd like to, to tell our, our listeners?
1: Well, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak with everybody and really appreciate your time. Uh, I think, uh, again, I, I would focus on how do you build uh, your business to succeed in the long term, not just focus on uh, how to just get past this because we will get past this and you'll know, you need to figure out what to do from there. So you may as well position for that. So I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak here today.
0: Thanks, Aton, for the insight, tips, and information you have provided. This decision comes with many factors and your help in understanding the issue, as well as determining the best road forward is so valued. To our listeners, you can click to the resources mentioned in this episode in the description for this podcast in your podcast app. Please note, this is a recorded podcast. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone. The information presented is as current as of the date of recording. New and changing government restrictions and assistance programs may have come into effect Since the recording date, please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information. This has been another episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Please rate and review us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. In these uncertain times, be well, be kind, be safe. We are on this journey together.